0: Hello again,
1: I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to our podcast, Leading from the Front. Today's guest is a CEO and founder of Excellent Executive Coaching and known for her fast-tracking leaders to the C-suite and beyond, and for transforming brilliant jerks into inspiring leaders. I love this. I believe that's her book. We'll, we'll learn all about brilliant jerks here in just a second. Clients often comment that working with Katrina enlightens leaders to empower co-workers to walk the extra mile. She's a keynote speaker. She has published Managing Brilliant Jerks and Global Leadership, a body of work used by Nestle's, Novartis, the World Health Organization, the International Labor Organization, the United Nations, and many more. That's quite a resume. She was most recently featured in Mexico, India, the United States, Kazakhstan, and Russia. She has 18 years of experience as the first master certified coach and founding board member of the ICF, the International Coaching Federation in Switzerland. Please welcome to our program today, Dr. Katrina Burris.
2: Thanks for having me, Dr. Gary. I'm delighted to be on your podcast.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. Katrina, I'll drop the doctor if you will. How's that for a deal?
2: Oh, that's great. Just call me (laughs) Katrina.
1: (laughs) All right, great. So talk a little bit about, I'm I'm interested in how you got involved in this uh, coaching endeavor of yours and the path that it's taken you. And we'll talk a little bit about brilliant jerks in a minute, but I'd like to hear a little bit about your background, your past and how you got into all this.
2: Well, I was a banker for a bank like Credit Suisse, which was a very good bank and triple A at the time I worked there. But after working there for about five years, I decided that maybe managing people's money and analyzing financial reports wasn't really my calling. So I decided to quit even though I had a good and a very good education at Credit Suisse. But I decided to leave without even having anything. So, uh, and I didn't have children at the time. So I said, okay, I'm going to have children, and I'm going to do my PhD. And when I finish having two children and a PhD, I'm going to look for something that really inspires me.
1: So, you, uh, So you you had your two children and started raising them while you were also completing your work on your on your doc, uh, PhD.
2: Yes, because, you know, being a woman, sometimes the fact that you take time off is not seen very well. So I didn't want a gap in my CV. And the other thing is I really always wanted to do uh, research work. So I thought, ah, oh, I don't know exactly. Even though I was offered fabulous jobs in the banking field, probably the best, but I said, I'm not inspired anymore. So, so I decided to do and look for. Her. And then I saw, you know, oh God, coaching, helping people, you know, to be better, more productive. I thought, oh, that's really something. Because I had a very strong personality mother, and I was always in the background analyzing and determining how her environment was reacting to her and giving her feedback. And I was a great listener. So I thought it gelled and I could make a difference, hopefully.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you combined uh, this new passion and the new approach with some of your innate skills, innate talents that you had and, and built on those. You got your PhD in human and organizational development. My question about your coaching is how does getting the PhD in human and organizational development help you to be a better coach?
2: That's a very good question because I did qualitative research and I triangulated my perspective. So what does that mean? I was in banking, so I had all the contacts in banking. So I decided to look at two mergers and acquisitions and interview the current CEO, the change agent that made and created that merger and the upcoming CEO that was acquiring the company. And I did that for two companies. So basically it's looking at what their vision is of the change they were going to do, why they were purchasing this company. What was the change agent doing to make this happen and his perspective. So it's multiple perspective of a particular situation. Later on in my coaching process, which is the seven E steps, to transforming a brilliant jerk into inspiring leader, I really based one of the steps into research work and getting multiple perspectives at qualitative research.
1: Okay. So let's, let's talk about this brilliant jerk thing. I like this, you know, because I always talk about getting rid of bad bosses. I, I do it a nice way most of the time. Anyway, how did you come up with that? brilliant jerk phrase. I mean, that's a great phrase. How'd you come up with that? And what does it mean?
2: Well, there's it's a dichotomy between being brilliant and being a jerk. And being brilliant is usually they're very good at getting results. They have something that the company desires. It could be a, a, a top heart surgeon that the hospital wants. It could be a turnaround executive that will implement the changes the company wants or make the merger and acquisition happen. So they have this brilliance or this expert. It could be an expert engineer that is outstanding, but they're jerks interpersonally blind. So they don't develop the trust that's necessary to do sustainable change.
1: Mm. So how do you, how do you work with executives to build trust? And and I've seen other things when, that trust is based on two things: it's being able to make that connection through vulnerability and, and emotional intelligence, but also being able to keep your word that you're going to get things done as you as you promise. So you've got both—you know—keeping your promises builds trust, and making a connection. So how do you how do you turn a jerk into a uh, into a more effective leader?
2: Well, I have this process. Seven steps, and one I call one first is to emerge. You look in the organization and see what they are rewarding, like behavior. What systems do they have in place to encourage people to have good behavior? Do they have leadership principles, for example? Do they have systems to evaluate the bosses? leadership, not only the employee. There's a whole series of things. Is misbehavior called upon? Is there consequences? Because otherwise, it's like once you transform the brilliant jerk into inspiring leader and putting him back in an organization, it's like putting a, a recovering alcoholic back in the bar drinking with his buddies. So that's, you have to really work with a person within the system. So that's what I call the first step, emerge. Then there is educate, educate the individual to be more self-aware. Well, you, Dr. Gary, know what that means. You know, there's a whole series of uh, projects, of assessments, of, of insights that need to be created to develop that self awareness and like daniel goldman says that if you don't have self awareness there's no you have only 4% chance to develop social awareness so that's the second step which is educate the leader about themselves and also what are the triggers where they lose control and they start fighting i think it's important to uh, determine the difference between a jerk an abrasive leader, and a demanding leader with high standards. So the jerk sees a problem, they interpret immediately on a gut level as incompetence, and what do they do? They go into a flight mode. And then they react by an intimidation, they dominate, they threaten. While the demanding boss with a high standard, what he does is sees a problem, the same problem, but he tries to identify... The type of problem. To give you two examples, is the person unable to do it, or is the person or the employee unwilling? And then he'll adapt his leadership according to the problem at hand. So he has a step back and has a distance to the situation to be able to analyze the other and the emotional intelligence to analyze analyze the other, know about themselves self-awareness, to be able to have leadership agility. So that's the difference between uh, a demanding leader with high standards with a brilliant jerk. You also mentioned brilliant jerk. Why did I use that subject? It's really because of the dichotomy. And then the next step would be to um, create some empathy. And the first person usually that I have them create empathy with is their boss. Now, why their boss? Well, because usually they have control over their career and they're pretty high demanding individuals, these brilliant jerks. They want the results. So they're interested in their boss, if he's somewhat respected, to have his feedback and to better understand him to get what the results he wants. But it's not because he has more empathy. He understands him and has better insight about his boss and he applies everything that he used in the educate process, that the self-awareness, to their boss awareness. But it's not because they have boss awareness with one person that they can develop leadership agility according to the person and the context. So the next step would be, I extend.
1: Well, before you go go any further, I want to dig into this a little bit because it's kind of, I'm going to say it's brilliant because, What you're doing is creating a scenario that with the person that you're working with that they see a lot of value in empathizing with their boss because their career is directly connected to the future of that relationship. So there's high value there for anybody that says, Look, your future is going to be dependent on what your boss thinks about you. It's that simple. That's right. So let's right. So that that's an immediate like hook. Into the person's emotional state that creates value for them to start learning what empathy is about. So I, I, I love that. That's that, and I, I wanted to state it just a little bit different way on what's underneath this this brilliance that you're talking about of why it works. This is why it works is you're, you're creating so much value in it.
2: Right, but what happens if they don't respect their boss? You see, uh, so. We-
1: that doesn't that doesn't change the, the the scenario that their boss is still going to determine their future, and and now I think we can get into triggers and mindset. If we go back up to education, certain people that we label I don't respect can trigger me in a certain way, especially my boss, because a lot of people think, well, I could do his job or I could do her job, and um, we have to change the mindset, don't we, of that that the whole way they're seeing that person and empathy is about seeing the human being and understanding that everybody is doing the best they can with what they have at the time.
2: That's right. So what you're saying is also develops tolerance. There you
1: go. Yes.
2: Yes. And uh, understanding if they don't like their boss or they don't respect them, Uh, it's still, like you mentioned, important that they know them because he will have some kind of influence. However, if we go to expand, which is the stakeholder awareness, you want to be sure to have in the feedback that you collect, this qualitative research that I mentioned earlier on, you want to be sure that you integrate in that feedback people he respects Mm -hmm. and tickle his curiosity or what she respects Mm -hmm. them. they call it the curiosity and the intrigue because you want that brilliant jerk, you want her to respect that feedback.
1: Yeah, so it's this is interesting. You know, I want people to really understand here that this process that you're taking them through is not a linear process. We'd go step by step, but you're now saying you use each step of the way builds on the next step, and you're going back to the emerge. Part of it where I I wrote down assessing the culture to see how people are rewarded, is bad behavior overlooked, some of the things you talked about a few minutes ago. And then you use that research to help support what you want to do in the following steps, as, as I hear it.
2: Yes, it builds, it builds a huge amount of information. And expand is really confusing sometimes for the brilliant jerk because you have contradictory information. You don't know one person wants more of this, one person wants more of that. And I don't, I think an important thing in the expand stakeholder awareness is not to ask the strength and weaknesses of the leader. It's the strength that they can leverage later because in three seconds they give an impression but it's also what would make the relationship more productive because that way the accountability of the change and of the relationship sits on both people. And I don't want to leave the, the coachee that I'm working with, with uh, in the mind of the people I'm interviewing with a negative thought that is, has defects. Yes. Everyone has defects, but how they're contributing to it. What what are they doing to encourage the change? The other thing is with the expanded stakeholdering, why it's so important is that if you have a brilliant jerk that tries desperately to change because they finally realize what how they're impacting other people and basically they're unaware of it, if they try to change behavior. In the beginning, it's awkward, you know, that's a new behavior. It's not what got them to where they are today. They're trying new things. And if you come and say, Hey, Dr. Gary, how was your weekend? How was your children when he's never asked that before? or she, I say, Oh my God, what does he want from me now? Or what does she want me to do? She's trying to get something out of me. So it's important that the system which is the stakeholders understand that this person is trying to have better contact and is trying and is questioning his own leadership or her leadership, so that they encourage the person towards the change and, and forgive certain mis awkward behaviors. Any comment, Gary?
1: Well, I, you know, you've gone through the first four, I think the first four steps of your seven steps, if I understand uh, where we are. And I think that in the beginning here, when you're talking about working really inside out and developing relationships, my question is what happens when you're working with someone, you're coaching them and you face resistance and resistance comes from fear. I mean, they're afraid to try these new things. It was awkward. And how I love it when people say, oh, I tried that you know, you say, well, try to let's work on listening and be a little more empathetic and ask them about their family and, and connect with the human being and stop just focusing them as an object to get work done and that kind of stuff. And you say, okay, all right, I'll try it. And they try it three times. There, I come back. That didn't work. It was, it was just, it, they, they thought I was trying to get something out of them. Didn't work. This doesn't work. Katrina, it just doesn't work. What do you, what do you do?
2: Well, that, remember that I imply I implicate. I think that's a French word, but the the system to encourage the behavior. But I would say on the first, when you come to educate to develop that self awareness, they're sitting there. What? Uh, I've gotten all these results. What are they bringing me? Some of them over to talk about soft issues. They're they don't make this company aware. So basically, that's when is very important to convince them. And I think convince is not the right word. I I just ask, uh, why do you think I'm coming here? You know, what's your perception? First of all, I see what the boss has told him and what he's understood. So if there's not a clear understanding, I go back to the boss and work with the boss. Because sometimes a brilliant jerk has an avoidant leader. So what you do, he's not telling him what's not acceptable. So you have to help that.
1: No, we as coaches, sometimes we get in the middle of that sometimes where they'll say, well, Katrina, could you tell them? Could you tell them about this performance issue?
2: Oh, yes. That's oh, right. yeah. We don't
1: want to get in the middle <laughs> of that. <do> <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you for underlying that. They will try, especially an avoidant leader, to not. And that's where you coach the boss, uh, to be more comfortable, to practice, to uh, get their message across clearly. And in the in the relationship with the boss, there is a triad meeting. So it helps me see what the boss is saying to the brilliant jerk. I prep the brilliant jerk to be able to accept whatever he hears as information. And then I use it as a way also to see their type of relationship and how they're communicating and getting clarifying information. So really, it's an accumulation of um, a massive amount of information. And I think a lot of brilliant leaders want a lot of data. So the stakeholder awareness is very important to give them irrefutable data and very specific an example i like to um, give is like i get uh, one person said ah oh, she doesn't communicate well i said well what does communication mean what what are you saying what does she do specifically well she walks s- 3 steps ahead of me this is an asian person 3 steps ahead of me and she rolls her eyes and huffs as uh, she was brilliant and their questions seem very prosaic and Not very brilliant. (laughs) So she was so unaware of this. You see, with that kind of detailed information, they don't need any more convincing.
1: Well, you're talking about the difference when we give, uh, first of all, going back to your your whole process in our leadership programs, we tell people all feedback is a gift. Whether you like it or don't, it's a gift. It's a perception. And I think as you're talking about resistance, what struck me was this is going to the person and asking them, if you've got several people above you that have this perception of you, what do you think your future is going to look like? You know, and get them to envision that going, yeah, but it's not right. Well, okay. If you hold on to that, <laughs> you're going to struggle. I mean, it's that simple. So, but the other the other part of it in, in the perception of others, as you share this information with them and what I'm hearing you say is get specific with behaviors that can be understood, and change if you choose to.
2: Exactly. Uh, and, and if they don't want to change, and I respect whatever they desire, they don't want to change uh, is really the consequences of not changing. And if they can live with that, then it's not for me to tell them what to do.
1: And that's what great coaching is, right? Is just to help them see into the future what the consequences of changing or not changing is, are. I think it's our. Yeah, let's let's say R.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely.
1: The birthplace of brilliant jerks came from your initial interviewing of these two mergers and acquisition situations that h- helped you see these brilliant jerks and what the impact and the consequences were on the organization. Is that where it started?
2: To take the step back and uh, seeing. The consequences of those behavior. It's also in the environment. The Swiss banking system was changing and putting pressure. So it's a it's also a macro trends situation. But it's also uh, stepping back and seeing different perspectives, so that you don't you have an open mind frame and you respect the research to see. This different mindsets of different people with a different objectives and a different behaviors. So yes, uh, gave, but also the qualitative research is um, it helped me do that, and it's integrated in my process.
1: Well, and obviously your, your process and things have evolved over time. I'm sure absolutely. Constantly learning. We don't get our doctorates, our PhDs without having a lifelong learning gene in us that keeps us going on that. So. I love the question on what do you recommend to people and how do you coach them when they're working for a jerk?
2: Oh, so being a victim of a jerk, is that it? Yeah. Yes. So. Well, I,
1: I mean, I've worked for jerks. I've never felt that I'm a victim. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I do feel victimized. Okay. okay victimized. So maybe they, maybe we're saying the same thing, right? But we can feel like we're a victim sometimes. Like there's nothing we can do, and we we get sometimes give up. Don't know what we can do, but what do you, what do you recommend if i if I'm working for a jerk and if you have an example of one that you could share on how you help somebody work through this and what happened, I loved your stories on this stuff of how people overcome some of these challenges.
2: Okay. So I'll, I'll have one in mind. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, to, for a company. I won't say the name for confidentiality, but you would know the name of the company. And he called me up and said. Uh, Katrina, I've never had or asked for help, but I don't know what's happening to me. I said, okay. Uh, I'm one of the best speakers of this company. I'm asked every year to speak in front of the whole public. And now people are saying I stutter. I lose my thought. And uh, the other thing is uh, I have eczema all over my skin. And uh, I really dislike asking for help, but I can't function anymore. So that's a good victim. I mean, he was an executive of this high-powered company admitting this. So, of course, that's a big step. So what I did was help him go through the educate, understand his brilliance, where he excels, and his boss, where the brilliance of his boss was. And they were contradictory. The boss was a brilliant mathematician, a cold, rational person. It's a simplified answer, but when he understood the difference and that he will never be able to be as good as her boss in finances, but his brilliance is elsewhere, and that brilliance in elsewhere was provoking, to some degree, envy in the CEO. So all of a sudden, that was a huge aha uh, breakthrough. And uh, then he could manage it better. And then we figured out how he can interact with him according to this difference in profile, et cetera. But that was the initial aha that reassured him.
1: So the point of stress was the comparison between him and this other person thinking that he wasn't as good and was trying to be.
2: Yes. And also it's uh, a relationship with a uh, bit father-son. So to understand the background, of this type of relationship and where he needs to stand up It's to understand what's happening in his current environment. Is he going through a divorce? Is he having trouble with his son, which is affecting like it's accumulation because I mean, this fellow was brilliant. It's an accumulation of stress factors that uh, put them in doubt. And then of course, if it really is a virus and it's like a poison going in their system, if it gets to that degree Uh, which was his limit, it's to leave the situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's let's not talk about viruses right now. Uh, We have enough of that in our our lives. So um, (laughs) so let me uh, ask you one final question. And you've talked about four of your steps. We're not going to go into all seven because, you know, we we don't want people to hear all your secrets. If they want to hear your secrets, they need to get in touch with you. And we'll find out how to do that in just a second. My question is this: You've had a really fascinating career working for the banking industry, deciding to have children, and getting your PhD. Now being a master coach and now working with these uh, high level executives. If you could write Katrina a letter and send it back to you twenty or twenty five years ago, what would that letter say to Katrina? Coach yourself a little bit. What would you What would you tell yourself? What would you have liked to have known? What would you have liked to have known twenty five years ago or twenty years ago?
2: I would have liked to known a heightened awareness of the cultural differences between what the Swiss value and approach compared to the U.S. I would have liked to known the perception of women at the time compared to Switzerland, U.S., Spain, Italy, because to better navigate and seize opportunities, I think those would have been very important to know. I did learn, but it took me a long time. Yeah, you learn by
1: experience, and as I always say, experience alone is a horrible teacher because some of the mistakes you can make in different cultures can be very off-putting to the people that you, you might, you, with all good intention, you come across as disrespectful without any meaning of it.
2: I'll give a specific example. See, I, worked, I worked for a Swiss bank uh, that's based on the military vocabulary and the process, and you went and wrote, rocketed to the leadership positions, if you've had military experience. Had I known that that was uh, the case, that's not the best place to be a woman, okay? Had I known that uh, in my sensitivity that being assertive and showing off, not showing off, but let's say showing off, uh, going each week and talking about markets and being a little more aggressive than the Swiss, they would be uncomfortable. I would have gone to an American bank. You see what I mean? But there's always opportunity, and I learned to be consistent, to be regular, to be detailed-oriented, which is not my preference. Because the Swiss respect it; they make great bankers, great watchmakers. Uh, they're de- in general, of course. I'm har—it's uh, reductive. So that's an example.
1: Yeah. Whereas in the United States, we're more entrepreneurial and, you know, action oriented in some things and maybe not as precise. Uh, I'm sure in the banking industry, we've been forced to be more precise because the government over the last 20 or 30 years with uh, Sarbanes oxley and other uh, laws and regulations have said, oh, no, 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 you can't be, you can't be that loose on this stuff. So uh, we've had to create regulations around that. So so um, how how can, you know, as you talk about this stuff and I think, wow, if people want to learn the other three steps. If people want to learn more about how you work with executives in your coaching, um, I love your approach. absolutely, I've learned a few things today about really understanding the power of culture and environment as it relates to the individual self-awareness and ability to be able to learn and grow in that organization. Like you were saying with uh, Credit Suisse, uh, a military type organization, which means it's span of control and, and, uh, uh, and chain of command. You know, it's like you, you, you march to the drummer and you do the things you're told to do and don't do anything else. Um, I was uh, an army officer, so I, I can recognize that and be very clear about what exactly it's like. So I understand that culture. That's not a culture that I'm good at. I wasn't that great at it back then, although I was a commanding officer, I adapted, but it's not what I wanted to do. And that's why I got out after four and a half years.
2: Yes, and that's another thing, a good learning. First of all, I just want to clarify that Credit Suisse does not have the same culture. It's changed. There's a lot of Anglo-Saxons in it. Uh, but if I had known where I'm super creative and where is my my um, blind spots, of course, you can develop a competence in your blind spots. I mean, that's why brilliant jerks can become inspiring leaders. But it takes a lot more energy. And after five years, you start getting really tired.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard work. <laughs>
2: it's hard work, but if you go with your passion, if you go with your unconscious competence, then uh it's like free energy.
1: Yes, yes. Well, right. Katrina, any final words for people? How could how could I get a hold of you if I wanted to uh have you as my coach?
2: You go to the, my website, it's called excellent coaching dot and or to my podcast that's called the same excellent executive coaching and uh gary i look forward to having you on my podcast
1: i'm i am i i am looking forward to it we'll uh, have to schedule that when we're done here and uh all of this information will be in the show notes so that uh, you can get a hold of dr katrina bruce Thank you so much for your insights today and the things that you've uh, shared with us and learned. I I wish you well, and uh, we'll do what we can to help you grow your business.
2: Thank you, Dr. Gary, so much. And I just want to tell your listeners that if they want an article on what you need to do in your organization uh, to discourage uncivil behavior or what to do to stop this type of behavior, it's right on the website. Okay, Gary. I love that
1: uncivil behavior. I, that's, we. yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to put that in the uh, show notes too, because it's uh, uh, something that we can all read and understand. And as we talked about before, let's get specific with those behaviors. So people know that sometimes in their ignorance, they may be doing something that's uncivil, but they will come across it. I was just kidding. I was just, I was just joking. It was just sarcasm. And, it might, and
2: we can all be a little bit abrasive absolutely. every now and then yeah. because we're under stress, but it's the, the brilliant jerk. It's consistent. Yeah. It's over time.
1: Yeah. Good, good delineation. That's perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. Katrina. Bruce, you, our guest today on leading from the front. I am Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you for joining us today on leading from the front.
0: Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music